That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Incomparable, number 660, April 2023. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Shelley Brisbane. There is no truth to the rumor that I murdered Jason Snell to get this job. Friends, we're talking today about Poker Face, the Peacock series, a 10-episode TV series that wrapped last month. And I have a wonderful panel of guests to talk about that show with me, uh, beginning with Annette Weirster. Hello. Hello, Shelley. I'm just here to find out if you're lying about killing Jason Snell. Uh, it'll take you a long time. Ten episodes mm-hmm. at least. David J. Lore, hello. Now, now, don't get ahead of yourself. Uh, I am here, but you're not going to meet me until Act Two when we see how I fit in. One more thing to you as well. Uh, also with us, Anthony Johnston, who who watched this despite not being in the U.S. And I'm glad that, <laughs> that you could. I don't know how TV works in the U.K., but welcome. <laughs> Hello, Shelley. Yeah, uh, when Jason handed me this podcast, he told me three things. First two don't matter. The third one was keep Shelley Brisbane out. <laughs> I'm sensing a lot of hostility, which is glad I invited. Which is why I'm glad I invited the wonderful Ken Ray to join us. Hi, Ken. How are you? And welcome to the Incomparable. Full stuff. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Somebody You're had welcome. to try it. Somebody had to try it. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, well, friends, we're here to talk about this uh, Peacock series, Poker Face, starring Natasha Leone, helmed by Ryan Johnson, and also starring a whole bunch of guest stars who I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, I was so excited to talk about this series that, that halfway through, I was writing to friends at The Incomparable who I thought or thought might be watching Poker Face to say, can we get up a show? Can we make Jason let us do it on the mothership? Because I have to talk about this show. And Jason was surprisingly amenable to it after I you know, put him in the hole in the mountain in Colorado. And, and oh, did I say that out loud? Oh, sorry, <laughs> God. I'm a terrible murderer. Anyways, uh, so I, I really am excited to talk to you guys about this show. And uh, let me sort of uh, start by getting your 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 top line reactions. How excited were, were you guys about this show? Was it, was it, am I like over the top? Are you going to have to calm me down? Or did you guys all love it too? Oh, God, you're going to have to calm me down. What do you mean? <laughs> you're entirely too mellow. This this is one of the best mystery series I've seen in forever. And I grew up learning everything I know about mystery plotting, partly from Columbo. Uh, so I appreciate really clever mysteries. I, I love Ryan Johnson's films because they're so taut and tight and, and beautifully plotted. And uh, this show... This is one of the most solid single seasons I've seen in forever. Uh, so, yeah, talk me down. <laughs> Challenge yeah, accepted. 
<laughs> like David, I grew up watching, you know, mystery shows like Columbo and stuff. My mother was a huge fan of like sort of spy adventure shows and American cop shows and all that sort of stuff, including, yeah, Columbo. Um, and yeah, I agree. I was very excited for this. I'm a big fan of Ryan Johnson, have been since Brick, you know, his very first film. Uh, love Natasha Leone in Russian Doll. I had never even heard of Natasha Leone before Russian Doll, which I know sounds incredible to Americans, but I, I genuinely had never heard of her. Uh, but that series was so good that I was like, okay, well, I'll watch anything she's in from now on. So when the two of them announced that they were coming together to do this, yeah, I was, I was all in. It's, I won't say you know this first season isn't perfect and you know i'm sure we'll talk about that but it is a very very strong first season of for any show uh and i really appreciate how it's made that's the other thing it's not just that it's an entertaining show and you know well made and everything but sort of how it's made and the the homages to the shows like colombo of the 70s and the cinematography and the structure of it and everything i just i really appreciate something that is you know, a bit off the wall like this, uh, becoming so mainstream. I think that's great. And, and not even just references to, uh, classic TV and classic mysteries, but really obscure film references. I mean, yeah. Natasha yeah. and Ryan are both <laughs> like super film geeks and it shows it's, we'll get to those too. Yeah. Hell of a cast too. <laughs> I love the, uh, I love the opening credits. I, I'm just the typeface and with the little, you know, with the um, copyright and the and the Roman numerals down at the bottom. I was honestly, I think on the strength of Ryan Johnson, I, I heard about this show about three weeks before it came out. It just kept turning up in my newsfeed. And I I was excited about it before it hit. And I was really afraid that I was just a victim of the PR machine. You know, just, you know, they're saying, because you don't have to watch every week if you don't want to. There's no, you know... I don't believe there was a cliffhanger anywhere in it and not trying to spoil anything, but I love the fact that you can drop in, you can drop out. If I had hated the first three episodes, there would be no, oh, but I have to see how she saves the universe, you know, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just a, uh, you guys have all mentioned Columbo, which it definitely feels like what I kept hearing and I haven't watched it, but what I kept hearing was that it also harkened back to The Fugitive. Yes. Um, Being being a child of the time that I was, to me, it's The Incredible Hulk. (laughs) <laughs> with that, yes. with Bill sure. Bixby, like you sure. know, down the road, and then next week I got to help somebody else, but I've always got to keep running. Um, just uh, yeah, this was uh, fantastic, and then you know the level of guest stars was just uh, was insane as well. Sad banjo instead of sad piano. <laughs> Love the sad banjo so much. <laughs> I think for the same reason, all of you, I really loved it. I think it had really a nice mix mix of that nostalgia, but it still had kind of a modern sensibility to it. So it wasn't just a repeat of all of those kind of classic mysteries of previous eras. And I think you could see that with the cast too. You have classic actors like Tim Meadows or Ellen Barkin or um, Judith Light. And then you're like, I'm really excited to see all these actors come up. But then you're still having like Stephanie uh, Sue and uh Joseph Gordon-Levitt and like some of the younger, well, I guess he's not that young anymore, <laughs> but <laughs> and, we, and we know you have everything. a range of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but he's he, in everything Ryan Johnson makes. Right. That's the thing. Joe Gordon-Levitt True. is like, he, he was the star of Brick, like I mentioned his first film. So I was, I was not at all surprised when he turned up in this show. 
Although the irony yeah. is the last thing I saw George, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in, as Annette will know, is when we rewatched 10 Things I Hate About You. So I feel like I've done the arc <laughs> of his like career. like a baby back then. <laughs> so, yeah, I love that. And I I feel like it was, I don't know, because I'm, I give me all the Agatha Christie. Give me, I'm more of a murder she wrote than a Columbo girl, but I did watch some of the Columbo. Um but yeah, just love sitting in that nostalgia. And so I should uh, warn that as in normal and comparable fashion, we'll try to do a spoiler free section and then we'll uh, sound the spoiler horn or our editor will and we'll get into all the spoilers you want to get into. But for folks who haven't seen it, this is a 10 episode series that is not a uh, a a a, 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 a serial series, in other words, it's uh, individual episodes, which was why it was called old fashioned, which, of course, got my hackles up is because I like old stuff so much. And so it's old fashioned because it is not a 10 episode arc, really. I mean, there is like The Fugitive. There is a reason that uh, Natasha Leone's character, Charlie Kale, is on the run for the whole series. But we uh, don't really address that in most of the episodes. And so you have this sort of really interesting structure where she's out uh, finding crimes and solving them in various different ways and uh, meeting guest stars along the way and uh, seeing very sort of interestingly desolate parts of the country. And so while the episodes are all very different from one another, some of them look similar, but some of them look very different. I think that's what's so interesting about it, too, because even though you, you, there, there's this sort of expectation that there's going to be a long arc to follow. And I, I read something the other day, and I think I agree that it's not really an episode that lends a series that lends itself to binging. You could, but it's more fun almost to watch from week to week and see what guest star is going to pop up. And I'll, and I'll just say, like, my initial reason for getting into the show was Natasha Leone. I was a big Orange is the New Black fan. And for some reason, I never watched Russian Doll. I need to go back and do it. I probably wasn't subscribed to the right service is probably all it was. So it's not by any intentional uh, reason that I didn't watch it. But I feel like, especially because of her, especially because of what I've read of the series since I got into Poker Face, I'm like, all right, that's something I need to, to rectify and go back. And I also saw she is she is such a film geek because I saw an interview with her where I, I can't even remember. It was like one question that they asked her about film influences or acting influences or something. And she goes on for like 15 minutes talking about Scorsese and films of the 70s and just like just in super detail. And I'm like, well, if I can't get her as a guest on Lions, Towers and Shields, at the very least, I can watch her damn show, <laughs> uh, which well, and, is you know, the way I think about things, apparently. Like there are so many episodes with you know very simple light references to other things. There's a, there's a an episode set in the world of auto racing that opens with a reference to John Frankenheimer's Grand Prix from the '60s. Which why is a TV show doing that? I don't care. I'm glad they did. But maybe my favorite of all the references, and this is this is the kind of like layered weird reference I love putting into things. Uh, there is an episode. Uh, and, and I'm not even going to spoil anything about it, but there's an episode called the Orpheus syndrome, which Natasha co-wrote and directed. And as part of it, uh, she winds up disguising herself in a strange horse's head outfit. And I, and online I saw people going, what's with the strange horse outfit? Why is, you know, and, and she gave interviews talking about how she couldn't believe they let her do this. Uh, but you know. Are they going to stop her? She's the star of the show. Come on. Um, it is a reference to Jean Cocteau's The Testament of Orpheus, uh, in which Cocteau 
wrote and directed and plays himself and disguises himself in exactly the same outfit. And it's that sort of weird layered reference that I just went, oh my God, oh my God. Um, and I'm just happy that I got it in the moment. It wasn't like, you know, oh, why is she And you don't have to head? get those references to no. enjoy the show because I'm it sure I missed a lot. And I've I've done enough reading where there's some references that I didn't get that I've gone back and gone, oh, that's fascinating. But I never I did not feel like the show was going over my head or ignoring me as a relatively casual viewer when those were happening. Well, that's the best kind of reference, isn't it? Where mm-hmm. the, if you know it, you get it and you're amused and you sort of go, oh, I get that. That's great. But if you don't, it doesn't spoil things for you. It doesn't ruin your enjoyment because you, you're you not left thinking like, well, there's clearly something going on here that I don't get and I feel worse for it. So, yeah, I thought they were all handled really well. Yeah. And they reward multiple viewings, which, again, that nowadays, that's the best kind of show. I mean, they they, they dropped the first four episodes so you could binge them if you wanted. And we doled them out one at a time over, like, we, we did it over five nights the first week it was out. And I don't, I don't think I would want to do more than one in a night because they're so rich. They are like little films. Uh, they're longer because they don't have the same commercial breaks. It's not a network show. Uh, so the episodes are actually longer like they used to be, which is great. And uh, the the only the only sad thing was once we ran out of those four, then we had to have one a week. <laughs> Although, if if I have one overall complaint about this, it's actually that I wish the episodes were even longer mm-hmm. because yeah. the, because of the way they're structured. And again, this isn't spoiler territory because of the way they're structured. Where like Colombo, you know, you see the murder first, you see the build up to it, you see why it happened, you see the murder happen and so you know who the killer is but then the way this show is structured is they then reveal that it turns out that charlie kale natasha leon's character was there all along and just not in the shots that you saw and then and so they replay all the events leading up to the murder and then part three is her actually solving the case but because of that we don't actually get that much time showing her solving the murder and i kind of wish we did i wish we had more if sometimes there are a few episodes where that part of it feels quite perfunctory it's um, it's rushed it's a little right, rushed. yeah and, and i wish you know an extra 10 minutes or so just to let that part of the show breathe i think would really benefit it yeah but then you're missing the whole then you're missing the whole nostalgia of this is you know 48 minutes 52 minutes something like that i mean it's not just that this is a well-written, well-acted show. It just, it speaks to the 12-year-old in me who knows that I'm in for one good, solid hour and then I'm out. I mean, it, it, TV has obviously changed in a lot of ways. You know, I was talking to somebody recently about the fact that um, they were like, why, why is this, why are the episodes in uh, season six of Community so long? Yeah, you know, it's because it was made for Yahoo and they didn't have to worry about that structure. <laughs> I love the fact on Peacock, I mean, even even here, I mean, you've got and they might have varied by a minute or two, but it's it's sitting down to watch Barnaby Jones. It's sitting down to watch Columbo. It's sitting down to watch just it's a it's a solid tight. However long that used to be when we were kids. Now, now I'm hearing a bit of an accent, so maybe it wasn't the same for TV there. I don't know. (laughs) Well, (laughs) over here, it used to be about 48 minutes for an hour long show. Yeah. Uh, now it's down to about 41 to 42 minutes. Wasn't it closer uh, to 52 initially? I mean, it was originally were... closer to 52. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's and what I'm doing. Somewhere like in it's... the 70s, it started pairing back. Well, and... I mean, part of the problem was like um, 
syndication, right? And they would figure yeah. out which oh, yeah. minute or two they could cut out. And then they sort of become shorter and yeah. And then and then but the whole world this, went to heck. But even <laughs> in this show, like they do vary quite it's not just a minute or two's difference between episodes. There are some episodes that are literally ten minutes longer than others. I think so, the last they, episode is quite long, if I remember right. Yeah. So they are mm-hmm. clearly taking advantage of that. Uh most of them are between fifty five and fifty eight minutes, which is astonishing these days. Columbos were generally uh ninety minute to two hour uh, yeah, they were of, literally films. Seriously, they? yeah. And right. so, so the shortest Columbo you take out the commercials, it was probably about seventy-eight minutes. I had forgotten that, and then I decided to rewatch a few Columbos because I'm not part of the sort of modern Columbo trend. Believe it or not, I've I've not gone back to it. And I decided to watch a couple, and I sort of sat down my sat down thinking to myself, "Oh, it's going to be forty eight minutes," forgetting that, of course, Columbo was part of this rotating Sunday night movie mm-hmm. that NBC did with with this other detective series, and for, forgetting that I was in for an hour and a half's ride. And to be honest, like. It felt slow, <laughs> but but these shows right at an hour without any ads feel uh, perfect. Yeah, and and you know the the only reason they even did the mystery movie was because NBC after two Columbo movies were like, oh, we want this as a series, and Peter Falk said, oh hell no, I'm not doing a weekly series. Are you kidding? Uh, I, I've been burned by weekly series, so they came up with this structure where he could do like seven or eight in a year. And they would have this cash cow that was getting great ratings and all this attention. And he was happy and they were happy. Um, And so, yeah, he's literally the reason why it was a mystery movie. Um, Just to give you an idea of how different things are over here, even now, seven or eight episodes of a two-hour show every year would be considered an enormous output in British TV. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) That would be considered a grinding schedule. (laughs) (laughs) And and we're coming closer because, of course, back in the 70s, a normal TV series would have been 26 or even 39 episodes. Back in the 60s, they would do that. Yep. And so then they moved down to 13. And now with, with streaming, there are, you know, 10 episodes is probably about right. Uh, but there are some sh- shorter episode series. And I should say right here, too, that uh, this has been renewed for a second season. And uh, they shot the final episode of this season before they knew that, but they certainly left it open-ended enough. So, yes, we have another season to look forward to. Well, and the thing that I love about the structure of this, because, again, everybody has compared it to Columbo. And, yeah, it's it's Columbo meets The Fugitive, The Incredible Hulk. But the beautiful part of this is that Yes, you see the murder right up front, and then you get that rewind to find out how Charlie gets to know the victim, and sometimes accidentally uh, sets things in motion that lead to the murder in the first place, which is- Which is hilarious. Kind of funny, yeah. And But I, I love that it's always details that she learns from getting to know the victim. That's what provides the key which is very different from Columbo. Columbo has almost no connection to a victim in, you know, 98% of the episodes and, and very rarely is in danger. That's another difference here is that there's no, uh, they don't have any compunction about putting Charlie in danger. And, uh, the other beautiful thing about it is Charlie's not a cop. So they have to have interesting ways to imply that, yes, there will be the comeuppance, there will be, uh, the, the, the killer will be caught, it's fine. Um, 
because of course she can't just say, Hey, here's the killer. Uh, because then she draws attention to herself and she's on the run. So, so there are a lot of moving parts to this that you don't have in just a traditional mystery series. I think the it's not that the killer will always get caught. The kids that justice is always going to be done and it's Mm. not always that they're imprisoned and i think to your point where charlie is involved i think what that brings is that people are very gray in the story in the sense that they're well-rounded you could actually like the killer or you could empathize with the killer but we're still going to find a method to have justice and i think it's it it provides a good variety of like why are people killing and it's for a lot of different reasons sometimes it's really selfish sometimes it's protective sometimes it's just completely by accident or thoughtless and i think that keeps it really interesting cuz it's got a formula but the formula is not exactly the same every time there's like kind of a nice different interpretation to the formula Um, that keeps us really invested because you know what's going to happen and we know it's going to feel resolved, which is what we want from a mystery. But we don't always know how that's going to happen. I appreciate the fact that uh, it's also somewhat self-aware. I did not watch a lot of Murder, She Wrote, but you'd think Jessica Fletcher would have wondered at some point. I think it's like around maybe episode seven or episode eight, that Charlie says something along the lines of, actually, I've kind of been sort of a death magnet this year. I don't know what's going on, <laughs> which I love. I love the fact that they, they just go ahead and acknowledge it because, no, it makes no sense. And yet, you know, if you just go ahead and say, yeah, we know it makes no sense, but you're having fun on the ride, so enjoy it. And, and I, what's I really hilarious is that's the episode where there isn't a murder. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's right, a I death mean, magnet, but... There's, there's, there's risk, but it doesn't end up being... It doesn't end up coming becoming a murder. It's it's not it's not the the well not to get spoiler territory. It's it's not the person's intent that it it is the person's intent that it be a murder, but it ter- turns out not to be. So, well, shall we uh, jump into spoiler territory? There's one last thing I wanted to say before oh, yeah, we ahead. get to spoilers, and that was just the one last thing about the Colombo thing was it is kind of it is very amusing to me that after. Russian Doll was uh, such a success and a phenomenon. There were quite, and after Knives Out was such a success as well. And you know those two things were within about a year of one another. There were a, more than a few people, myself included, saying, "Hey, what about a Colombo remake, but with Natasha Lyonne?" And like made by Ryan Johnson, like this was a thing that was <laughs> in the highly air. specific, and, right? And and several of us tweeted at Johnson because he's quite active on social media. Tweeted at Johnson, like you know, half joking, but also kind of not joking, suggesting this. Now, I'm not suggesting that necessarily <laughs> Ryan Johnson would pay attention to that sort of thing on social media and go, actually, yeah, that is a really good idea, although he didn't already have the idea in his head. But it is very amusing to me that this thing that a lot of people wanted more or less came true. No, it's not actually a Columbo remake, but it really is like the next best thing. Well, and they, they were amused by it because they've talked about that. And, and they both had the feeling of, well, that would be cool, but why don't we just do our own thing? Do something new instead. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I'm glad they did. I'm too. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Well, let us dive into spoilers and just the barest hint of a plot from me. Uh, we begin uh, with Charlie Kale, who's Charlie Kale has a superpower. She she is Natasha Lone's character. She is our lead. Her superpower is that she can detect lying. And so if somebody says something to her that is untrue, she can either just file that away or in most cases, she will um, leave, lead with an expletive that lets them and you know that she has detected a lie. And uh, she's using her powers of lie detection uh, in the before we actually get to the first episode. She's using the power of lie detection uh, to to benefit uh, herself in playing poker. And then she gets caught by this uh, casino owner. And the reason she's on the run for most of the series is that uh, she's run if we can talk about the specifics of the episode, but basically she's run afoul of the casino owner. Uh, he ends up splat on the pavement and uh, his father's henchman is chasing her for the rest of the series. And uh, by the end, they meet up again. Uh, so that is as, as bare an abbreviation of, of the plot of the entire and, and the, the, the remaining episodes involve uh, Charlie Kale on the run, hiding from this henchman who wants to kill her, uh, encountering and uh, sort of ham ham finding her way into solving these murders. And again, yeah, she's not a cop. She's on the run. The only possession she really has is this uh, bear, this car, this Barracuda, 1969 Barracuda or whatever year it is. And um, she it seems very, in the very Columbo fashion, she's very shambling and very haphazard and very sort of seems to accidentally find out the solutions to the crimes, not only because she has this lie detector ability, but because she has this incredible tenacity and she asks a lot of questions. And weirdly and uncomfortably for me, she often asks a lot of questions of the murderer who she knows is a murderer and who might kill her at any moment. So that's a source <laughs> of tension. I don't know that she always knows they're the murderer at that point. It's not It's not like Columbo. Not always. Sometimes she but, does. But yeah, and... It's it's usually in those moments where you can see her thinking and going, oh, oh, wait, I probably shouldn't have tipped that. Okay. <laughs> but she keeps doing it. <laughs> but she keeps doing it. Yeah. It's it is sort of a, a wonderful um, a wonderful nod to gambling and playing poker and playing chess, right? With with your opponent, you have to bluff sometimes. I, I love how her superpower, as you put it, also means that they have to come up with some really clever ways to have the killer like say things and answer her questions in ways that aren't lies. And of course, at that time, a lot of the time, they don't actually know that she can tell if they're lying, but they'll just reply to something she says in a way that isn't actually a lie, but is in some kind of admission of guilt. Uh, I, I just think that's... I mean, they kind of made a rod for their own back in doing that because you can see the sort of increasingly convoluted ways that they have to get around it as the series goes on or as the season goes on, I should say. Um, but also, I, I really admire the fact that they stuck to it and come up with, as I say, increasingly clever ways to work around it so that she doesn't just immediately identify who the killer is, you know, on the first uh, first time she talks to them. And and particularly with with characters, the the rare characters that actually know her superpower, right? Yeah. Um, like well, when, there's, only when one, she, there's only a few who do though. That's the right. thing. Very like, few mo do. most of the time. Yeah. But that they're very clever, and and you know, in, in the final episode with Ron Perlman, where he, where he says something and he goes, "Am I lying?" Mm -hmm. eh? And she's like, "No, no, you're not." Right? That's yeah. 
Okay. And I think to its credit, like there are ways in which the season escalates and you sort of think, especially if you haven't read anything about you sort of think, well, the story is going to be a fugitive story where she's running from Cliff, this henchman, the entire time, and we're going to escalate the danger. And similarly, we don't escalate the level of knowledge people have about her lying, because even as early as the the stall, the barbecue episode, there's a character who knows about the superpower and takes steps to avoid it. But later on, there are plenty of characters who do not know. And so it feels like whatever escalation happens as you go through the season makes it possible for you to watch those episodes independently and not feel like, OK, episode two is a lot less tense than episode nine, for example. They they seem to be fairly even. I mean, I have my favorites. I actually think some of the early episodes are some of the best ones, but not for the not for the reason that they uh, not not for the reasons the amount of tension or the amount of information you have about the character. And then, you know, one of the things that's kind of amazing in the final episode is that it it adds a degree of difficulty in having the killer in the episode knows her superpower and has to conceive of a way of killing the person they're going to kill that will not uh, be given away right away by a lie, right? That won't that, set off her alarms, yeah. Yeah, it is. And and of course, Ryan Johnson wrote that episode. So, you know, it's like, how do you add a degree of difficulty to that? That's insane. So, yeah, I mean, I just I love it as a writer. It's so much fun. Well, I think the structure supports this, too, where you like because we go through the murder. So we know what happens, because I think it would be a lot less interesting if we didn't know what happened and we didn't know who was lying and who wasn't lying. And sort of like it allows you to sort of mentally process with Charlie. So in a sense, we have her superpower because we know what happened, um, not because we're as smart as she is. So we can kind of sit there alongside Charlie and sort of discern, is that a lie? Is that not a lie? This is how they're skirting it and sort of mentally process that, which kind of adds like it actually requires you to pay attention to what's happening even though you know who the killer is, it's all about sort of discovering all those motivations and how sh- she works it out, which is not a normal way of doing a mystery. <laughs> well, and and that's that's where it really hits that Columbo comparison, because, for instance, you can tell the more pedestrian Columbo episodes where you see everything. Everything is plain right up front. And then it's literally just how is he going to catch him? Whereas the best Columbo's give you extra details or details they don't quite explain. So there's still a mystery you have to figure out besides just, is he going to catch him? And a lot of these have little details where you're like, what is that? What is going on? And we have to learn how this works as Charlie is learning. You know, for instance, in the, in the auto racing episode, we have no idea what, what the guy is doing to mess with the car. We just know that he's messing with the car. And then we learn what it is that he did to the car as Charlie understands it, which is, uh, you know, it's really fun. I love that. That is really insightful, though, and I hadn't even considered that, but you're absolutely right. The way it's made means that we effectively have the same power that Charlie does Yeah. Mm-hmm. to tell who's lying. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't noticed that, but you're absolutely spot on, and that is probably, I think, a big part of what makes it so much fun. Um. One other thing that I wanted to, that I think makes it fun that I wanted to mention is Benjamin Bratt as well. I think he plays his part perfectly in this. I, I read a thing where Ryan Johnson said that he basically persuaded 
because, you know, Benjamin Bratt's in this kind of thankless role where he's kind of in the first episode a bit, and then he's really not in it at all much until the finale. But he persuaded him to take on the role basically by telling him the end. <laughs> he <laughs> pitched the finale to him and said, look, you get to like completely cut loose uh, and go for it in the final episode, as, but it, but we need to build you up before then. And that was what sold him on taking the role. But I think he's great. He's kind of, I always feel like he's channeling Don Johnson a little in the role somehow. Maybe <laughs> oh, it's those yeah. Ray-Ban shades. I don't know. That's interesting. But, yeah. He's, but I he's think insanely he just, cool. He's great. Yeah, he really is. He, I think, <laughs> I mean, I like Benjamin Bratt a lot anyway, but I think this role is just absolutely great for him. Well, in that last episode especially, and I will say that it, it, it did, and I don't think it's anything the show did. I think it was just, I, I did have a flash early in that episode. He's He's been on this job for a year chasing Charlie, and I'm thinking to myself, what motivates him to go on other than presumably a fairly large amount of money it doesn't seem like that would be an interesting way for a guy like that to spend his life and so there's a part of me that was like is there a way that he turns on his boss and that's Mm -hmm. what ends up happening but again the show is good enough so that they're not leaving those breadcrumbs for me that's just me watching a bunch of shows and thinking doesn't make sense for this character to be as tenacious and as long-suffering as he is staying in Colorado hotel rooms waiting for Charlie to be out of a hospital for months at a time. It doesn't make sense for that to happen. But then the payoff is, okay, he does turn on his bus, but the way he does it is layered and super interesting. <laughs> Watching it happen over that episode too is just is just wonderful. I mean, just the the, the montage of him going from <laughs> I'm on the case to I'm ready to kill whomever yeah. <laughs> was, was just, I mean, was, was really well written and really well yeah. done. Let's back up and talk about some of the episodes, because this is this is a, a question that I sort of had as I was watching again and thinking about the individual episodes. And, and we have also to say that there are incredible guest stars, which we can shout out at any time because there's so many of them and they do such surprising and interesting things. And can, if I were called to be a guest star, if I, I would just be like, yes, I don't care. Just whatever you have want me to do, I would trust these filmmakers because they're so good. But the episodes... Uh, I, I just I just love to hear if each of you have either favorites or ones that you thought were were duds. So duds? when I when I well, maybe started that's too harsh. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I'm not duds. <laughs> Less good. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I watched the the first like three or four that were all dropped at once, as David mentioned. Uh, and yeah, I didn't watch them all at once, but I watched them in relatively quick succession. And you know, mentioned to some friends like, "Oh, this is really good. I'm really enjoying this." And another friend who'd seen them all. Um, up until that point he works in the industry uh said like oh no 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 like those first four episodes were like the weakest in the season it just gets better um i'm not sure i entirely agree with him i, totally I do don't. think that, <laughs> I, I i think that episode two is the weakest of the season that one just didn't click with me for some reason part of that was because they had this thing in the first two episodes where they have her f- like being frustrated because she can't think of a word and they very quickly drop that. It's in the pilot, it's in the second yep. episode, and it's yep. never in any episode again. And I'm very glad because that was, I, I did not like that as a thing. Um, it, it took up time. Yeah, it, it, it took up time and it made no sense and, and yeah. it, uh, whatever. Um, but in general, I agree with it. Like I said, there are episodes here and there, but in general, I agree with him. I think the the back half of the season is incredibly strong, just like hit after hit after hit in the episodes. Probably my favorite was... Um, uh, time in the monkey 
actually right in the middle of the season. The one with Esa mm. Merkerson and Judith Light, which just had mm. me, because that yeah. <laughs> episode wrapped me around its finger. I was, they suckered me every step of the way. I loved their characters <laughs> at first. I loved Charlie's interactions with them. I thought, yes, I was laughing. I was like, this is so much fun. I love this. And then, of course, the twist comes. And then I'm like, you, how could you, you monsters? I hate you. And, <laughs> and then, you know, the, the twist around again at the end and oh, everything about it. I just, I absolutely adored that episode. It was so well written, so well made. Esther Thurgson and Judith Light obviously just completely stole the show, uh, which is not an easy thing to do with Natasha Leone on screen, but they just completely stole that episode. Um, but as I say, I mean, I really did enjoy pretty much all of the back half and I appreciated that, um, what was the episode? Rest in Metal, the episode before that with yes. the heavy metal band. I appreciated that a lot of the music stuff in that actually was accurate, <laughs> which may sound like a weird thing to praise it for, but an awful lot of TV and film gets music and band stuff very, very badly wrong. So it was nice to see somebody get it right for once. And and the way it built to the reveal of where the song came from and the melody oh, yeah. of the song, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, it's it's uh, Chekhov's viewing of Benson, right? <laughs> Chekhov's one, iPad with an old show on it. I don't know. Yeah, and and one of the things that I've I've loved in this is it's it's really hard for me to watch mysteries because I will figure them out, and it's not like I'm trying. It's just. I know how the tropes work and, and I'm used to making plots. And so it's like, well, this is what I would do. And for a show to surprise me, that is always a good sign. Well, that's and, why I loved that time in the monkey episode. Cause like I say, yeah. it just suckered me the whole, I'm the same. And it, that episode just, I could not see any of it coming. It was great. Yeah. That, that is probably the one that, that got me the most that way, you know, and, and I was pretty good at following all the rest of them and, and going, well, this is going to be an important detail and this is going to be an important detail, you know? And, uh, probably the, the weakest one for me in a way, and, and it's totally because I work in theater is, is the sixth episode <laughs> exit stage death. Who's either going to be the strongest or the weakest, David, I figured. It's, <laughs> well, it's, it's a great title. I love the title, but, um, it's, I, you know, for all the research they did to get all the details right in so many of the episodes, um, I'm sorry, there is no way that a professional theater of any level uh, operates that way. You don't use dry ice for that. You'd use a fog machine. It's also cheaper. Um, the, you, you have a call where you test everything before every performance so that you don't have accidents, right? You don't have an open microphone playing like that. So it's like you you don't have the talent in charge of their own mics. I think that was the right. biggest thing that yeah, got me about true. that one. It was like, no, somebody else would be closing those. <laughs> right. So so it's sort of like every detail that they had to have to make that plot work would never actually happen. There it's not like it was like one detail was off. Every detail in that was off. But the rest of the episodes were so good. And, you know, I, I didn't spot that kind of problem in the rest of the episodes. And, you know, and I still kind of liked the episode because the actors were great. You know, they sold the hell out of that. But uh, that, I mean, that for me was the weakest just because of the plot. I will confess, none of those things bothered me. Because <laughs> I'm right. not in theater. And I was like, I enjoyed it. <laughs> like, if, if, if you don't have that, it just flies by. It's fine. Yeah. 
you know whatever um but yeah i mean aside from that i you know i just love this season my god and and building to you know the surprises of uh the the mountain episode uh i will be good and not curse but i i love that they include a curse in the title of the episode um that was such a smart smartly plotted episode and and going okay the kleptomania is going to be a thing you know oh, just all the little details they they're so well plotted and and they've got a team of writers that have learned not just from Ryan but from just good mysteries yeah i don't know if it is um so for other I, I used to do a Star Trek podcast and we used to have to watch every episode of Star Trek and I did it all the way through like Deep Space Nine. And the thing, one of the things I always go back to is I love the way television used to be made because you get things like Best of Both Worlds, but you also get things like Data's Day, which is like a horrible, horrible episode of Star Trek, I think. But <laughs> what's fantastic is you still love it and you still don't care because you like right. the characters and also you understood you know, 26 episodes, they're not going to hit them all out of the park. What's interesting to me about about this show is it gives itself that freedom, maybe because it's not episode, like you don't have to watch episode five to know what's going on in episode six. But how do you get, how do you get rest in metal and escape from blank mountain, right? <laughs> in the same thing. Or how do you get the one, I can't remember the names, I apologize, the night shift. The Night Shift and right. Escape from Blank Mountain don't belong in the same series except for that character, but the writing is so great and and that character is so wonderful that, I mean, they're wildly different. Uh, the What was the Orpheus? What is it? I apologize. The Orpheus Syndrome, again, I mean, that's such a weird, and and if you like special effects, if you like, you know, the Hollywood story thing... That is a great episode. I used to work in a radio station not much bigger than the one uh, in the barbecue episode, <laughs> mm. right? I mean, there was something there that, that spoke to me as well. And it goes it goes all over the place. Uh, the world of casinos, this tiny little in the middle of nowhere country radio station, this special effects guy. I mean, it's it's all over the place. And and like having like, having done stuff at the local radio station here in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, and mm-hmm. It looks exactly like that. Yeah. I, I mean, everything in that was spot on. <laughs> but it's like you said, Ken, that's the, that's what you can do with an episodic series like this, where yeah. you don't have to have that kind of week-to-week continuity. You can do episodes that diverge wildly in sort of tone and location and the, who the secondary characters are and stuff. That's something you know, and the thing is what's great about this series is you can do that, and yet some series that are built like that don't. Mm-hmm, for whatever right. reason, you know, call mm-hmm. it creative uh, caution or whatever. Whereas this one, they really do go for it. And so you do get these incredibly contrasting episodes. And yeah, I, I'm just really glad that they took advantage of that and did it. And and the locations, like if if you look at this as a linear progression, it doesn't make any sense for this as a road <laughs> trip, right? Right. They can, they can be in almost any order. Um, but that makes sense for Charlie to have gone to sort criss-cross. of in a straight line and then yeah. to turn and switch. And it's great for the show because it means that they don't have to say, okay, this is our southern road trip and then we're going to go to the Midwest and then we're going <laughs> to, you know, she she goes wherever she goes because of all, and you could believe that Charlie would just get up one morning and punch a punch a map and say, okay, that's where we're going today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Annette, do you want to weigh in with faves or not fave episodes? I think, okay, so I wouldn't have expected the one with the race car to be a fave because that seems extremely boring to me. (laughs) But I think what I like about that one is it really embodies the like revealing because at first you're like that young punk driver is such a jerk and then you find out well there's a lot of complexity in his character and then you find out no actually he is just a jerk (laughs) so like you kind of like the revealing of layers of characterization in a in a short time period where your empathy is sort of shifting between people and i think charlie's empathy is shifting between people and i i I really enjoyed the characters in that. And it's the one where, like, actually, there is no murder in the end. Um, And there is no justice. There's justice. There is justice. But there's no, there's nothing they can, she can do anything with. There's no authorities coming in or anything. Yeah. But in the end, he's going to lose to Katie in the racetrack. And that's the ultimate justice. So that's great. And I also, I love the escape from we'll call it Colorado mountain. Um, (laughs) That whole episode, it it kind of switches because you kind of follow the same format and you don't know, like basically, you know, it was one of the two women who got hit by the car eventually, but then (laughs) you're, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out, well, which one is it going to be? And the stress of that. And, um, the the it's like clever plotting and you're like, Charlie's so smart. And she, she's going to catch him even if she, she conceivably, I think herself thinks she might die. So she's going to catch him in the end and get that, that justice. And um, yeah, I like that the, the kleptomania comes up and then it ultimately doesn't mean anything because Cliff is too smart to fall for the fact that maybe uh, it looks like Charlie died, but she doesn't, he's like, he Jackson is like, no, <laughs> I'm not that dumb. And so it ultimately amounts to nothing, but it's still kind of a clever, funny little sideline. And I, I love the mastery of different styles, right? We get we get an yeah. episode that's very much vertigo. We get a, an episode where all the tension is in the car racing. So again, it's very much like Grand Prix. Uh, we get uh, Escape from Colorado Mountain, which is basically a horror film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, and just the mastery of all these different styles. I mean, one of the things I loved about Knives Out was that it starts out as a whodunit and then becomes a perfect Hitchcock thriller in the middle of it as it turns into like a, a Columbo thing, except it's Columbo focusing on the wrong person, it seems. And that Ryan manages to weave those two things in and out of one another and it still works, right? And and all of this season is very similar. It's like, here, let's let's play the greatest hits of the mystery genre and have fun with it. My favorite episodes are, it's hard to choose because I have one that's a sentimental favorite, which I think is still a great episode, and then one that I just think is the better filmmaking. And my sentimental favorite is The Stall, partially because of the familiarity, because not only do I recognize the radio station, I recognize the barbecue place. Oh, yeah. I visit <laughs> like, that Hello. barbecue it's, place. And, and MAGA Dog. I mean, oh, my God. I love the MAGA and, Dog so much. And, and <laughs> Chekhov's Dental Floss. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Because as soon as that came up, I went. 
that's coming into it. Yeah, and and the characters in that uh, in that episode are are great and interesting, and it's not a particularly complex episode in terms of character motivations, but it's just, like I say, a sentimental favorite, and I adore Maga Dog. I adore the reveal at the end where you find out that it's the one guy doing all of the radio station personalities, and Maga Dog ends up staying with him. It's just, it's so great. And I think Escape from Colorado Mountain, though, is... Just and I'm not a horror movie person at all, and it was funny because because you said that, and it's just like, of course you're right, it is a horror, but it's just so interesting visually. It's so interesting in terms of what are what are the what's going to happen to these characters. There's that whole long sequence at the beginning where they set up. I think his name is Trey, the the villain's uh, sort of routine as a person with an ankle monitor, and that goes on forever. And I'm just like, why are, why are we doing this? And then wow. it, it creates an atmosphere that is very much at odds with the rest of the episode. And and Charlie gets physically hammered in that episode. <laughs> and it's it's to build it's to build that repetition and yeah. iteration, but it's also to build in the importance of the ticking clock at the end. Right. And it's and he it's is just under such a, pressure. It's such a it's such a great episode. I love that we continue calling the 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 uh the thief that uh, is also trying to take advantage of Charlie. I love that we keep calling her Morty because the credit card she stole has Morty on it. I mean, it's, I just love that her name is Morty. Anyway, it's, we, we never know her name. No, yeah. we don't. She dies and we don't know her name. But the, the whole episode is so, and and I guess that's probably from just a, a visual and filmmaking point of view, the one I like the best. I, I must say that I know I should like Orpheus Syndrome because it's so stylized and because Natasha Leone had such a huge hand in making it. It's kind of not my favorite because it's not my, it's just not a, a style that I enjoy, but I sort of can recognize it for the art that it has inside of it. And, and, and there's so many of these episodes that create multiple feelings and you have very different relationships with different ones. And I'm also partial to the ones where I, I, I like the guest stars a lot because they either surprised me or they just hit it out of the park. It's like Judith Light. My God, she was so mm-hmm. good. Um, Rest in metal, Chloe Savigny, who is apparently uh, Natasha Leone's real bestie. So I love the idea that they get to do that together. Mm. Uh, I mean, and there are just so many. And even in uh, Ellen Barkin in um, uh, uh, Exit Stage Exit Death, Stage Death yeah. is amazing and over the top, but absolutely appropriately so. I like the twist. Of that. I mean, there's just like you could uh, there. There really isn't one in the bunch that you that I couldn't recommend, whether I whether they were all my personal taste or not. I think probably. I think Anthony said it. I think my least favorite is probably episode two, which is funny because you come out of the gate where you have a pretty strong seasoning, season opener in terms of what what is going to happen in this episode. And then you have sort of a, a weak episode followed by like four strong ones in a row. Uh, but even so. It's almost the weakest motivation. It's this, it's It's a setting that doesn't entirely work. I've actually driven through that part of Albuquerque. Um, they added stuff to it, but it's, it's pretty deserted. It's because there's um, a lot of desolation in these episodes that happens in yeah. very different ways. And I think this is the one where they make the most of the desolation, but it works least well because it's both the physical uh, environment and also all the characters and nobody leaves that episode in a better place than they yeah. were, or even in, it's, it's and, just. Yeah. The whole thing, I mean, in in mysteries, you will come up against contrivances, but the whole setup is just a little too much. It's too contrived, right? Oh, he just hangs out on the roof. Oh, he does this. Uh, you know, 
I kind of I kind of disagree though because what the second episode told us was everything's not going to always be the way you want it to be in the end. That that's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I like I like the fact that that we left that town pretty much the way we got it, minus one actually good person who was about to you know probably get out or at least change something for themselves. It all just it's it's all still the same in a way, yeah. which is um, which is a drag. It's <laughs> real kind life. of cool. See what's weird? Yeah, exactly. In, in a in a in a series that's kind of um, not necessarily so married to real life. What's interesting because after everything I said about, it, I like the fact that it's just you know one and done. You don't have to watch any other or whatever. There are two things about Escape from Blank Mountain that I'm not. I don't know that it's necessarily my favorite episode, but I cared so much. Like like I offhandedly said. Do you think that was Charlie that got hit uh, to to my uh, to my partner? And she was like, "Oh no, no, it can't be because we know you know whatever." <laughs> and then and once we find out it is, I'm like so worried. And I know there's mm-hmm. one more episode, and I assume right. the one more episode is not going to be burying Charlie, right? <laughs> so I know everything's going to be. The sound of her be... getting hit is so loud, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. God. it's and, so much. But then also like the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character standing there. I mean, like I I. Despite the fact that we don't have the episodic thing, despite the fact that we haven't had the oh, and she's got a child that she needs to get back to, or oh, she's got, you know, I mean, there's there's nothing. She's a drifter, but I've come to love this character so much that that episode had me tense the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that necessarily makes it the best episode, but it's the one that like it's I mean, the most it's, effective. Yeah, it's not like I didn't know they had me, but then I knew they had me, you know, because because <laughs> if if that if anything had happened to her, I don't. We'd be doing a very different show right now. Yeah. <laughs> Shelley, you you said earlier that really any episode could be your favorite almost. And I, that struck me, actually. It was always because it's been a few weeks since I watched the finale. So before this, uh, you know, before recording this, I went to Wikipedia to look at the episode list just to sort of remind myself. And as I was going down the list, I was like, oh, yeah, that one. That was great. Oh, yeah, that one. That was great. Oh, yeah, that one as well. That was great as well. And it really is, again just such a strong first season no it's not perfect uh you know it loses some of the nuance in the characters i think towards the end because it becomes more about the chase but yeah overall so there are not many shows that have such strong first seasons as this i mean one of them was russian doll uh although for me actually this is better because russian doll season one for me didn't quite stick the landing whereas this absolutely Mm. does like the finale episode here is just absolutely everything you could want it to be so yeah uh, really impressed i i think one of the advantages of having a shorter season now instead of trying to do 25 30 episodes in a season is you can be a little more thoughtful and create these nice pieces of art that you can probably spend a little more money and time on and it it just feels like, yeah, I'm like, I feel like I'd rather have 10 episodes like this than the old model of having 25 episodes of some of them are real hits and some of them are just like forgettable because I don't think I'd forget these, any of these episodes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I miss yeah. the accidents. I miss the mistakes. <laughs> I miss the, you know, the tribbles. The filler. Yeah, right. Yeah, I right. Mean, we need we need three more episodes. You know, okay. I, 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 kinda, <laughs> I, I, I would take that. three more episodes. So yeah. sure. Well, they have a season two, and it will be interesting to see how they either choose to top season one or say we're going in a really different direction. And I think it's kind of an open question 
what they might choose to do because there there are little things like you know how are we going to make the lie detector thing feel fresh and feel interesting in another season or are we going to add something to it or subtract you know, what are, what are we going to do and and i think because it was such a strong first season there's an open question and i think people me certainly uh, eager to find out where are you going to go where are you going to go how are you going to top it or where are you going to go next well and and from a plotting perspective i think one of the smartest things about this show and they and they've kept it you know the way they set up season 2 this is still there is that because she's on the run she's off the grid she doesn't have a smartphone she can't just google a thing or take a video you know or record things right so you kind of lose some of the modern tech that makes modern mysteries hard to yeah. plot mm-hmm. they solve they solve the uh, the x-files problem because yeah. if you go back and watch the X-Files now, it's like, oh, yeah, well, they would just get on their smartphones and we'd be done, <laughs> right? <laughs> because it was 93 and we didn't have that. They've solved that problem here because, you know, anything you watch where somebody's like, I've got to find a phone. It's like, no, you don't because <laughs> right. it's 2023. Right. You don't have to find a phone. But she's got to find so much stuff that she can't have because she's not allowed to have it. I, really quickly, I mean, for the structure of the show, obviously. I want to go back really quickly to something that you said, though, Shelley. Um, when you're like, how are they going to top it? I felt like, and and I wish I had gone back and watched the last two minutes of the last episode. I felt like what they said is, congratulations, you're going to get more of the same. Because what what was it that the uh, that the voice on the on the phone something along the lines of, can we just can we just keep doing this forever? And Charlie says, I'm willing to find out. Right, right. Charlie, Charlie is not like, oh crap, not this again. She's like, all right. This is yeah. what my life is now. I and felt like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I felt like that was Ryan Johnson. If, uh, Ryan Johnson wrote the last episode, right? Yep. Yeah, I felt like that was Ryan Johnson saying to the viewer, "You like it? Good, because here comes the same thing again." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm, I'm so there for that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I hate to keep and, bringing up Star Trek, but like, it, ooh, how is the universe going to be in peril <laughs> this season? You know, <laughs> it's, it's brilliant to have this. To have said, you know, well, it's episodic, it's not serialized, but you do have, you know, the last episode connects and closes off from the first episode. And then, you know, oh, well, everything's solved. But no, now she's got another person on the on the chase after her. And it's Rhea Perlman. <laughs> Which I, I, both, I, I love that it's Rhea Perlman and I can't wait to see the reveal of what that's about. Yeah. I, I'm not certain that I like the, the sort of justification for why she's going to be on. I mean, I, I thought the justification for why Cliff chased her for a year, as I said before, was kind of weird. But I, 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 I sort of wonder, like, are we going to take any more depth on why Rhea Perlman is actually interested in wasting her time chasing her? Or, or is, is it just going to be, OK, it's the fugitive, so somebody's after her. Just accept that and move along, which is kind of what I think is going to happen. And of course, remember, uh, Ron Perlman, who is our who's our ultimate uh, villain, we didn't see we didn't meet him until the last episode. We knew he was the one that was directing Cliff's, Cliff's footsteps and Perlman is great. And so are like we going to get more Rhea Perlman? For a while. Yeah. Are we going to are we going to get I don't think that the whoever's chasing Charlie is ever going to be a main character, and I think that's the right choice. But there's part mm-hmm. of me that's like, oh, let's let Rhea Perlman do some fun stuff. Well, and I think having the the repeating sort of following the same formula, like that tends to be why we like a mystery is 
because it's comforting, right? We have the formula, things go all messed up, but in the end, we find that resolution. So I think it's okay if they just kind of keep to the same, bring us new interesting characters, bring us new storylines, new murder plots, and so on. And we can sort of figure them out alongside Charlie. And I'm, I would be fine with that because that's why I like mystery. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> hope that they don't that they resist the temptation to make it more of a season arc kind of show. Yes. You know, I hope I hope yeah, that I they too. don't oh, yeah. go- decide to that they do continue to be episodic and be really sort of light touch on the overall arc. Um yeah, it's a trope that she's on the run, you know, we've got to accept that somebody's after her. I don't want the whole show to become about that. But I, I trust these people. Like, you know, yes. right now, oh, in yeah. terms of sort of filmmakers in whom I have trust, Ryan Johnson is very, very near the top. So I am, you know, sort of very, very hopeful that uh, that, that they'll have the sense to avoid that and that won't become, uh, you know, the thing. The other thing, speaking of like Johnson and his um, oeuvre, one of the things I really wanted to draw attention to was I mentioned the look right at the top of the show, the look of this show. And there's a really good article on Vulture actually talking to Steve Yedlin, who is Ryan Johnson's longtime cinematographer. Yedlin is basically on the cutting edge at the forefront of making digital shot film look like old film. And he's really, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't the cinematographer on every episode uh, here, but he shot the pilot and episode two. And I think he may have been the cinematographer on the finale as well. And his style obviously completely influenced the rest of the series because of the pilot and one of the things i like about it is not just again this matches with a lot of things we've also said about sort of the tone and the story it's not just an homage to old 70s shows and what have you it does have a modern style and it has its own style that sets it apart from modern shows because Mm -hmm. it's bright and it's saturated and so many modern shows especially crime shows are not that you know csi has a lot to answer for <laughs> and one <laughs> one of its you know many many uh, one of the things that sort of uh its legacy if you like one aspect of its legacy that continues to this day is crime shows being heavily desaturated lots and lots of blues very cold you know just not a lot of color at all uh and i really like that for this I mean, Knives Out obviously was very colourful as well, but less so than this. I really liked that with this show, they just went, no, just dial up the saturation and make it look like it was filmed in the 1970s. And you've got highlights blowing out. You've got halation. You've got imitation of uh, gate weave on some shots. You've It's just crazy. It really, if you didn't know, you could look at this and think that you were just looking at a really good restoration of a 1970s show you know technology depicted aside and i think that's nobody else is doing that i just think that's really really an interesting choice that's more than just an homage to colombo but actually maybe hopefully because this has been successful and is i think going to be influential may actually bring about a change and may have uh you know start a trend for shows that look like this for modern shows that look like this and i'm all for that and and the settings the fact that they're in different places than every other tv show right i i remember when i was little and and i went back and looked at the 
the schedules just to to make sure I wasn't imagining things. And back in the 70s, you had shows that were set in Indianapolis and Phoenix, Arizona and Detroit and Baltimore and Miami and, you know, just strange places. And, and for a long time, we've had all these procedurals that are New York, L.A. Maybe you get Chicago, but then here's another one in New York. Here's another one in L.A. Here's or 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 we'll take the same thing and do it. You know, CSI New York, CSI Vegas, um, NCIS Miami or NCIS New Orleans. Or, you know, there are all these identical places. At least New Orleans was something different. And even it Hawaii was, doesn't really even count. Th- but even but, that NCIS New Orleans, when it was because oh, I watched the first two seasons and it looked yeah. like every other NCIS show, exactly. I was like you're in New Orleans, dudes. <laughs> you know, well, how and, do and you? So more to the point for this show, we're not in one of those places that they could have chosen. We're in so many of them, all of them. And, yeah. And she, even if they go back, let's say for example, she goes back to New Mexico. We know that season, the second episode was Albuquerque-ish on a highway. She could go back to Taos. She could go back to Santa Fe. She could go right. back to sort of a nondescript place that's in the mountains of New Mexico. Or she could and go back to- And those are all going to gonna look different. Yes, absolutely. And even like I, the pilot, uh, I, I wasn't really paying attention. I thought it was Vegas because there were tall casino buildings. And then I realized as I went on later on, because there's the desert, she's living out there in the desert in the trailer. And you, obviously Vegas has desert, but you realize that it's actually like closer to Arizona than it is to, to Vegas. And- uh, you can have a setting and you're going to drop us down in this community, but you have multiple scenes within that setting that are very different and very specifically colored and drawn in a way that each of them has their own integrity. So both the desert scenes and the scenes inside the sort of fan- alternately fancy and shoddy looking casino in the same episode each have their own integrity. And that's delightful to watch. It's also great to deal with jobs that aren't Doctor, lawyer, or yes. cop. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> yeah. That's another mm-hmm. thing where you know you had all these series that were unusual professions, and you got to see all these worlds that you weren't part of. And yeah, now almost everything on a network is doctor, lawyer, cop, firefighter, doctor. You're now yeah. firefighter is all of a sudden popular. Yeah, where else yeah. are you going to see a subway clerk and people who work in nursing homes and a barbecue guy in Texas and people who did special effects in the 70s and just all these Summer things. stock actors. Well, uh, why don't we do a round of uh, final thoughts? This has been a lot of fun, and I, I'm glad to see that there's so much poker face enthusiasm that I, I no longer have to sit lonely in my little TV room and think, am I the only one who loves this show? But yeah, let's, let's go around and do some final thoughts. Just to urge everybody to watch it, really. You know, if you if this looks like a show that you think you might enjoy, then you almost certainly will. You know, in terms of the the quality of the show, you don't have to worry about anything there. I mean, I like I say I grew up watching the same sort of shows that David did, and this absolutely brings that kind of nostalgic kick of like, oh yeah, yeah, this reminds me of the shows that I grew up watching, but it does also feel very modern. As you said, Shelley, it has very modern sensibilities at its heart, and it's just really, really well-made and well-performed. You know, there is a great twist and a puzzle uh, in it in every episode, so you've got that if that's your thing. There are great performances. It looks gorgeous. Um, Yeah, I just, as I say, if if you saw the trailer and thought, oh, that looks like something I might enjoy, then you almost certainly will and you should watch it. Ken, how about you? What are your final thoughts on Poker Face? Do what you can to watch it. Um, 
It's it's just amazingly good. It, it, going back to what you guys were saying a moment ago about NCIS and all of those shows, one of my biggest problems with them is not the desaturation, but the fact that everybody in every one of those shows is far too cool. <laughs> everybody is just way too cool. Even the geekiest person on that show, the one who's supposed to be like, oh, wow, you're weird. They're all cooler than anybody. They will all get into any club that I will not. <laughs> what I love about I love I love the fact that this is a very tight show. This is a very stylistic show. This is a very well written, well produced show. And the person that we are following around, we love. And she's bumbling. She's not dumb by any stretch of the imagination, but she just like she backs into murder, right? <laughs> week after week. And and the thing is, I don't think any of us necessarily see ourselves as her, but we might know her. And we care about her. And she is never going to be too cool. She takes as much joy talking to the old woman at the at the retirement home as she does the special effects guy, as she does any place anywhere along the way. She's a she's a very like wonderful character, a very accessible character. Um and then, yeah, I mean on top of that, you've got the the fantastic uh, filmmaking aspects of it, and you've got the fantastic writing. I mean, just just, you know. Just do what? Annette, did you get your mystery fix from Poker Face? I did. And I'm going to support ex- like what everything Anthony and Ken just said. But also, I think what it does for me is I'm, uh, and I say this all the time, I'm a cozy mystery girl. Um, I like it when we focus on people and relationships and where we're not so serious. Like I know it's murder and murder is always sort of serious and dark and brooding, but the story doesn't feel dark and brooding. And it does have some thriller elements that kind of get picked up through that through line or in the episode on Colorado mountain. Um, So some of it is really tense and scary, but at its heart, I think it is a cozy mystery, which focuses on our lovely main character, Charlie. And I think I also just, I want to hang out with her and I want to follow her and find out what she's going to do in her adventures. And yeah, it's ridiculous that she's finding murderers all over the place, but I don't care. I love it. It's about the puzzle, isn't it? That's the thing with cozies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the focus is on the puzzle, not on sort yes. of brutal realism. As yeah, well as the human that's beings. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, David. Well, I won't say wrap us up because I get to talk after you, but please, what are your thoughts, David? What, what haven't you had a chance to say? Well, I mean, obviously I love it. Um, it has been a long time since I saw anything on TV where I said, I want to write that. I want to write a spec script for that because I'm not, I'm not a fan fiction kind of person. I'm not like, Hey, I'm going to get an account at AO3 and, you know, just do that on the side. Um, if I'm writing something, I, I actually want it to have a purpose. Right. And between strange new worlds and this, that's two shows in the last year where I'm like, I want to write an episode of that. And fortunately, uh, a theater company in Cincinnati that I work with regularly uh, they do this thing called serials where over the course of uh, three to five rounds uh, on Monday nights, they will do segments of a play. And they said, Hey, do you want to do, you want to come back and do some serials this year? I said, all right. And as a result, I essentially wrote two episodes of poker face as a serial play uh, because you know, the, the ones that get the, most votes continue and the one that gets the least votes gets cut out and we're going to hit the fifth of five rounds this week. 
so people like good mysteries. And I'm I'm just like, oh my God, I can do this again. Yes. Because it's been a while since I just said, I'm going to write a flat out mystery. And that's all because of Poker Face. Um, now I just have to figure out how to make them work as episodes of the actual show. But that's a whole other thing. Um, so, so I love it for inspiring that, you know. Um, but yeah, it is, it is maybe my favorite show in a long time. And you, you all know, I love a lot of shows. Um, it's, it's, it's such a thing. I, I changed the artwork on my lock screen on my phone to the key art for the, the poker face promotional campaign. And, uh, the, the phone lit up in the car a couple of weeks ago. And my wife looks and goes, why is there a strange woman on your phone? Why is Natasha Leone calling you? (laughs) Well, didn't, didn't even have that. It was literally, why is there a strange woman on your phone? And everywhere I've gone to pay for things with my phone, the clerk goes, Oh, poker face. So I was like, yeah, you, you need to watch poker face. You need to know why this strange woman is on my phone. Cause she's like, didn't, didn't you used to have captain Pike there? Yes, yes I did. Yes. And, and Anson Mount will return, but for now. We'll we'll make sure Ryan and Natasha get a copy of this episode in case they want to follow along with your spec script. Yeah, I have to echo a lot of. Uh, yeah, what- yeah. Call me, call me, Ryan. I'm I'm right here. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> Not hard to find. I, I have to echo a lot of what you all have said, both in terms of the, the human aspect and the, the cozy aspect. And I, I think, and again, I have to go back to what I said before about how the episodes are different from one another. They're, they're of a piece, but they're different enough that I can have one episode where I feel like, oh, my God, that murder was entirely senseless and I need to think about that murder for a little while and another where I'm focused on oh look at how she's hanging out with those old uh, beatnik hippie terrorist uh, ladies in the nursing home <laughs> and your your feelings and your attachments to different people in the show uh, vary by episode and I think that's all to the good because it's not you know the thing about a Columbo episode was you spent the whole time figuring out who did it along with Columbo. And then at the end, you're like, ah, I knew it all along or I didn't, whatever that was. But it was a very sort of linear experience. And I don't know when I go into an episode of Poker Face whether I'm going to come out of it feeling for Natasha Leone's character herself or for somebody that died or for somebody that was even the murderer, which can happen, or whether I'm just going to be amazed by some incredible acting performance. And I, I like that element of surprise. And like Columbo is always Columbo. You know he's a cop. He's walking in there. He's Columbo. You know Jessica Fletcher is always Jessica Fletcher. And in this, you have no idea how Charlie is going to fit into the context until she shows up and we start to get that information. Like in in the uh, 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 music episode where, you know, hey, I got this song called Merch Girl. Merch Girl. Girl. (laughs) And then you realize about 20 minutes later, oh, Charlie is Merch Girl. Oh, my God. Right, so that's no. something you're looking that's for hilarious. in the episode, which is very unexpected. How is our main character going to drop in? Well, friends, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation about Poker Face. It was delightful to have all of you. Uh, Anthony Johnson, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Shelley. This has been a delight. David J. Lore, thank you, and good luck with those spec scripts. Thank you. And, and, and just one more thing. What <laughs> were you doing with the Polaroid camera? Can I ask you that? <laughs> Annette Weirstra, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And I think I've determined that Jason is safe and will be back soon. 
Thank God. I'm glad to have that albatross lifted for me. (laughs) And Ken Ray, thank you so much for joining us on The Incomparable for the first time. I I hope you had a good time. I did. Thank you very much for asking, Shelley. We will be back, or somebody will be back, probably Jason, but who knows, with another episode of The Incomparable sometime soon. So stay subscribed, join the network, all those good things. I just realized I completely forgot how Jason ends a show. So I'll just say bye for now. <laughs>